Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Good morning, Crosswinds. If you're new, my name is Kurt and I'm one of the pastors. And this morning we're going to be finishing up our mini-series called Compelled by Grace. We're learning how God's crazy love for us compels us to do some crazy things for Him. Now, before we get started, uh, we're going to do a little homework assignment. Everybody in their bulletin has this little map. Go ahead and take it out. Take it out and hold it up because you're going to need it. I'll wait. Thank you, Chris. Come on. Hold it up, guys. Let's go. This is audience participation. All right. Now, let's take a look at it. That smiley face in the center, by the way, that's you. So what this is, is it's a relational network. We're going to give you the opportunity to figure out what your relational network is. The circles around you are the different spheres of influence, like your family, uh, public service places that you are involved in, such as Kiwanis or Pi, uh, restaurants you attend, like Family Diner or Perkins, or businesses that you are involved with, Baumgars, Walmart, auto parts stores, neighbors, work, youth sports. Now, here's what you need to do. In the circle, I want you to write the approximate number of people that you're involved with in this area that you think do not know Jesus. Maybe there's 12 people at work. So in the circle, the number of people in that sphere of influence that you connect with that don't know Jesus, and on the lines, the names of three of them that you're relatively close with. Do you have that? Do you understand that? In the circle goes the number, and on the lines go the names. And by the way, if you're a student, substitutes for work, substitute school. I'm going to give you two minutes to work on this homework assignment. I'm going to come back up, and we'll pick up the message from there. You guys ready? Go ahead and do the homework. So you have your homework done? Good. Well, put that aside. Don't put it away too far. We're going to refer back to that later in this morning's message. So that is, what is your relational network? And what I'd like to begin as we talk about is hush puppies and what made hush puppies famous. You guys know what hush puppies are? Uh, We're talking about that brown suede shoe that everybody wore in the 90s. Remember those? How many of you, how many of you guys wore hush puppies? 
That's all? Well, I certainly wore them. But let me tell you a little bit of the Hush Puppy story. In 1994, Hush Puppies as a shoe brand was essentially dead. Wolverine, the parent company for Hush Puppies, was going to cancel the shoe line. They sold less than 30,000 pairs a year. And then something strange happened. From 1994 to 1995, they went from selling 30,000 pairs a year to 460,000 pairs. 95 to 96, they sold 1.6 million pairs of Hush Puppies. And the brand just like resurrected from the dead. Everybody wanted Hush Puppies. In fact, by 1996, Hush Puppies were the standard shoe for the young American male. And Wolverine was congratulated with a number of awards for their, uh, their ability to take this dying shoe and resurrect it. But thankfully, they were very honest and said, we didn't do anything. We didn't plan. We didn't try. We have no understanding why everybody wants hush puppies. And that began uh, some research by sociologists as to what happened to make this shoe so incredibly popular. And in Malcolm Gladwell's book, Tipping Point, he describes how this whole thing unfolded. Apparently, it all began with a group of teenagers in Manhattan, New York. They decided that they were going to wear hush puppies just to be different from everybody else because nobody else was wearing them. And the only place you could buy them was, was like thrift stores. They, they weren't even sold in department stores because they were so low marketing. And eventually, as they became popular with these kids, they started telling their friends, that, hey, we actually like these shoes. And then they told their friends that we actually like these shoes. And hush puppy fever began to spread. Kids were having their parents drive hours outside of the city to small mom-and-pop shoe stores, which was the only place that you could find hush puppies still being sold. And the hush puppy fever was alive and well among Manhattan teenagers. And then one of the teenager's parents decided to buy a shoe and wear it along with his son. This parent was actually involved in a fashion, the fashion world. He liked them so much, he made Hush Puppies the, the shoe, the featured shoe on his spring fashion show. And Hush Puppy Fever jumped from the teenage world to the adult world. And almost overnight, they became popular. And it was all because friends told their friends, who told their friends, who told their friends, and in two years, it went from a dead shoe brand to the standard shoe for the young American male. Incidentally, that's the same way the gospel is to spread, isn't it? By friends recommending Jesus to their friends who recommend Jesus to their friends. And the gospel fever spreads. Now, that may not sound like too powerful of a uh, marketing scheme, but actually it is. I want to illustrate this to you under the next point. My relational network has the power of what's called geometric progression. Friends telling friends who tell friends operates on a geometric principle. 
That doesn't sound like much, except the best way to illustrate the power of geometric progression is by this simple piece of paper that you have in front of you, because it's very thin. But we all know that when you fold paper on top of itself, it starts to get a little thicker. Now, my question for you is how thick would a piece of paper become if you could fold it upon itself 50 times? That's sort of like friends telling friends who tell friends. It's geometric progression. How many of you think it would become as thick as a phone book? Okay. How many of you think it would become as tall as a refrigerator? How many of you are afraid to answer? How many of you think it would become as tall as a building? You got a couple of building guys here? Well, if you take a piece of paper and you fold it upon itself, upon itself, a total of 42 times, which is physically impossible, but it's not mathematically impossible. The mathematics tell us that the piece of paper would be as tall as from the earth to the moon. If you continued folding it up to 50 times, it would, the piece of paper would be as tall as the earth to the sun. Actually, it would be just a little short of the sun, to be technical on this. I did some research. 51 would, folds would pass the sun. And if you were to continue folding that piece of paper 94 times upon itself, it would be the very breadth of the universe itself. Obviously, geometric progression, friends telling friends, who tell their friends, who tell their friends, is a very powerful principle. It's the way hush puppies, with no advertising, became the dead brand to the most popular brand for young American men. Just simply friends telling their friends. It's the way the gospel is designed to go forth as we speak positively about Jesus, the church, and God's book to our friends. And they learn and experience and go from there. This morning, we're going to see how um, this recommending Jesus to our friends and friends, therefore, recommending Jesus to their friends, how this works in the Bible. In fact, this is the way the very first disciples came to Jesus Christ, simply by friends telling friends and recommending him to the others. We're going to study this this morning in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 41. So I'd like to ask everyone to take their Bibles out. Turn to John chapter 1 and put your eyes in the text at verse 35. And I'd also like to ask you to stand out of reverence for God's word as I read it. Follow along with your eyes in your copy of God's Word. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked, as, he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it is about the tenth hour. Now, one of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, 
The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and, and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, well, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That ends the reading of God's Word. And in this text, you can see that different people come to Jesus through the recommendation of their friends and their co-workers, and their, their neighbors. Let's go ahead and follow this through. First of all, the point for us here is recommend Jesus to my friends because Andrew and John met Jesus through John the Baptist, their friend. It begins like this. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, the John here, we wonder who this John is. In context, this is John the Baptist. And if we go up just a little bit earlier in the text, we can see that it is John the Baptist. Now, the question that often goes in our mind is, well, how did John the Baptist know that Jesus is like God's son? Where did he get his information from? And it wasn't, by the way, because John the Baptist scored perfectly on his ACTs. It was actually because God himself told John the Baptist who Jesus would be. And here we find this. Why did John the Baptist believe in Jesus? Beginning in verse 32. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. Now, I myself did not know him. I didn't know who he was. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Well, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Speaking about Jesus. And John the Baptist has obviously done a lot of baptisms. That's why he's called John the Baptist. So this is like the one baptism that totally freaks him out, right? It puts Jesus under, brings him up, and we know from other texts that the voice of God the Father was heard at that time. And the Holy Spirit, it says in this text and on the other texts, came and descended upon Jesus. And Jesus, John is sort of freaked out, like, okay, this hasn't happened before. This is the one who is the very Son of God. And when Jesus walks by, he makes these recommendation to his two friends. He says, behold, that guy is the Lamb of God. 
Now that sounds like a strange recommendation, doesn't it? You say he's a good. You can say somebody's a good cook. He's a person who has a good character, but somebody is the Lamb of God. What kind of compliment or recommendation is that? So, what does it mean to say Jesus is the Lamb of God? Now, you have to put yourself in context. At this time, we're in the Old Testament days. People sinned, and the way you dealt with that was by the death of a lamb or the death of an animal. And so people sin a lot. And so there's a lot of blood that's going all over the place. and It's being shed in the temple. But here's the deal. There is many animals being sacrificed that we provide. And the book of Hebrews tells us that all of it was just figurative. Not a single animal's blood ever truly atoned for our sin. But the Old Testament was telling us that there was a day that was coming when all this would change. It wouldn't be multiple animals that we provide that figuratively took away sin. There would be one lamb that God provided that actually took away our sin. And when John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God, what he is saying is, That man that you see walking there, that is the one who will die in our place for our sin. That is a huge recommendation. Now, honestly, I think John's two friends have a hard time getting their mind wrapped around this huge recommendation by John the Baptist. That's understandable. That person is going to die in our place for all of our sin, for all of you, for everyone. Now, before we go any farther, let's, by the way, pause and identify these two disciples. Who are they? Let's give them a name. I can tell you that the name of one of them is Andrew. That's easy because Andrew's name is revealed later in the text. But the other one sort of stays mysterious. I believe the other unnamed disciple is John the Apostle. Because throughout the Gospel of John, whenever John the Apostle is involved, he includes himself in the story, but out of humility, he leaves himself unnamed. So I believe this is John the Apostle who is the other disciple at this point. So we have Andrew and John. And this is what happens. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now, you're going to see in a moment, they didn't follow him closely. They followed him from a distance. They get this recommendation, a huge recommendation by their friend John the Baptist, and they start following Jesus, watching him from the outside. Like, they're in the outskirts of the crowds when he's speaking. They're, like, peering around the end caps at Walmart to see what he's down the aisle, you know, buying. They're, they're, they're distanced from him. They're observing Jesus for a while. Because it's at the end of the day when they have an encounter. Jesus finally turns around and talks to these stalkers. Jesus turned around and saw them following and said to them, Like, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. 
So what happens here is the 10th hour, by the way, is 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So they've been following him for the day, just observing him, just watching him. And at this point, they're interested in him. They want to know more about Jesus because they call him rabbi. Why did they call Jesus rabbi is the next point. Later on in history, rabbi became um, a title that was more like an earned credentials where you went to school, sort of like a doctorate is today. But at this time in history, it wasn't an earned title. It was something that you said to someone that you wanted to learn from, that you looked up to. It was sort of like a term of respect. So they've been recommended by John the Baptist. They start observing him from a distance. And now they want to learn from him. So they call him rabbi, teacher. In fact, they do the one thing I've always told my kids never to do. They invite themselves over someone's house for dinner. You know how you tell your kids? But here it's biblical, isn't it? Like We want to have a meal with you. And we want to learn more about you, Jesus. We've been watching you from a while. You've been recommended to us. So they have dinner with Jesus. And by the way, last week we learned the incredible power of having a meal with Jesus or having a meal with God's people and how that is a really a great evangelistic tool. And during that meal, they place their faith in Christ and they decide to start following him. And I put on the side of your outline here sort of the progression that these guys go through. They get a recommendation, okay, from John the Baptist. Then they start making an observation. They watch from a distance. Then they want to build a relationship with Jesus. And then they place their belief in Jesus. And I think this is very important because I don't think this is just the way it happens in this piece of text, but I think this is often the way people are introduced to Christ. They get a recommendation about a church, or they get a recommendation about the Bible, or they get a recommendation about Christ from one of God's people. Then what they do is they start watching from a distance. Maybe they check a church out online. Maybe they start noticing the Bible that is on their shelf at home. And then they eventually want to move forward. They want to build a relationship. Maybe they go to the church and they start talking to some people in the church. Or they open the Bible and they start reading the Bible. And then they place their faith. This is very helpful for us to know how people are brought to a relationship with Christ. So applicationally, here's some good points. Number one, don't underestimate the power of recommending. Don't underestimate the power of recommending Jesus to your friends. Um, Sociologists tell us that we are subjected to about 3,000 advertisements a day. It's in our newspapers. It's on the corner of our computer screens. It's on the billboards when we drive down the highway. It's even in the men's bathroom. You're being told you need to go buy a corn dog as soon as you're done. I mean, it's everywhere are these advertisements. In fact, this one will make you laugh. Did you know that uh, recently Russia launched a rocket and there was advertisement on it? A Pizza Hut logo that was 30 feet wide was on the side of a Russian rocket. You know, that's what I call doing anything to get your brand out there. But here's what we do. When we are hit with so much advertising, we intentionally start ignoring all of it. 
until somebody in our relational network that we trust happens to recommend something to us. They speak something positive about a product or a brand, and then all of a sudden we start noticing the advertising that passes in front of us. It's sort of like buying a car. You, did you ever you buy a Ford Taurus, and then all of a sudden you start noticing, you know, everybody has a Ford Taurus. You know how that works? Because you start noticing it. But before that, you just blew it off. This is the way it sort of works with Jesus. You know, there's, all, there's religious information out there, but when we recommend Jesus to our friends, we recommend reading God's Word, and we talk about what God has done for us in His Word, or we recommend Crosswinds Church to our friends, what happens is people will start pondering that, and then they will start observing it from a distance. Maybe they'll get online, and, and they'll maybe check out a little bit more about Crosswinds Church in a safe place. They don't have to develop a relationship. And then they'll... God will work in their heart and they'll develop an interest and they'll want to build a relationship. And then they place their faith in Christ. But it all comes out of a recommendation in our relational network. That homework assignment you did at the very beginning of this message, that is your relational web. That is the relational network that you can recommend Jesus into. Folks, that is your mission field. The way the gospel is going to go forth is not through billboards. It's not through mass advertising and mail home campaigns. The way the gospel goes forth is you recommending Jesus to your friends, the people on that map and them developing an interest and following this pattern, and them recommending Jesus to their friends, and them recommending Jesus to their friends. It's the way hush puppy fever spread. It's the way the gospel fever spreads. It's the simple power of recommending Jesus. The other thing I want you to notice here is we don't need to prove Jesus. We just let people spend time with him. Isn't that what he says here? He says, well, Rabbi, we want to learn more about you. And he says, well, just come and you will see. Just come and have a meal with me. I mean, Jesus doesn't start getting out all the ontological arguments and the teleological arguments and the cosmological arguments for God. He doesn't pull out Josh McDowell's evidence that demands a verdict and start saying, let's go see if we can argue this out and prove this out. He's like, just come over for dinner. <laughs> Real simple. Just spend time with Jesus. Spend time with his people. It's real relational low-key. And Jesus is man enough to prove himself in that relationship. Folks, it's the same with us. Our job is not to prove the truth of Jesus to somebody like he's a mathematical argument. Our job is to recommend Jesus to people and then let them spend time with, in God's Word. Let them spend time with God's people. And Jesus will prove Himself. The burden of proof is on Him, not on you, and not on me. Well, the first thing we saw is this. We recommend Jesus to our friends. And you can see how this procedure worked. The other one is we can recommend Jesus to my family. That's another one of those circles in relational networks because we find that Peter met Jesus through his 
brother, Andrew, recommending Jesus in the family. John 1, 40 through 42. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So, what we have here is a really shortened version of what happened above. There's not a long time of, I need to observe. There's not a long time of, I need to build a relationship. What is this like? Okay, I trust my brother. My brother would not lead me wrong. My brother says we found the Messiah. You know, I better just go and check him out because my brother is probably right. And this is what happens, a real compressed version. And Peter comes to Jesus. And what I think this points out to us is that our family network is a very powerful network. Because in our family, people trust us. You can trust your family. And if you speak positively about Jesus into your family, to those who don't know him, we often underestimate the power of how God can use that and the power of that recommendation. So, number one, we looked at the network of our friends and sometimes the process that goes through. Number two, we looked at the network of our family and how quick and how powerful that can be. Number three, recommend Jesus to my coworkers and neighbors. Because Philip met Jesus through Andrew and Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Here's what's interesting. Bethsaida literally means fish city. What it is, is that um, Andrew and or Philip and Andrew and Peter were all from this area of Bethsaida, fish city. They lived in the same small town and they worked in the same job, in the same line of work. They're all fishermen. And do you know when you recommend Jesus to people who are in the same line of work to you, it's a very powerful recommendation because they trust you? When you recommend Jesus to people who uh, come from the same town or the same block or the, the same neighbors, it's a very powerful recommendation because they trust you. I thought about this a little bit. A couple times a year, I get a chance to get away and uh, go hang out with other pastors of churches that are similar to ours. And I find myself very quickly in a close relationship with those guys because they're wrestling every day with the same kind of problems that I'm wrestling with. And we have some great conversations over meals, really deep stuff we talk about. Well, it's because we're in the same line of work. And those of you who work in Polaris, you have other people who work with you. And you have a good connection with them because you're in the same line of work. Those of you who work in pure fishing, you have other people who really connect with you because you're doing the same kind of thing with lures. Those of you who are teachers, do you know other teachers have a great deal of respect for you and you recommend Jesus to them, they're very likely to listen. Some of you are farmers. 
When you speak positively about Jesus and crosswinds and God's word to other farmers, they're likely to listen because they trust you and they respect you because you're in the same line of work as they are. It's a very powerful network, co-workers and neighbors. In fact, I think it's the second most influential network that we are a part of. The first is our family. The second is our co-workers and neighbors. Number four. You know, we could even recommend Jesus to my doubting friends. Because doubting Nathaniel met Jesus through Philip. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Nathaniel, he's your typical skeptic. The skepticism comes from the city that Jesus comes from, Nazareth. Nazareth is a little bit, has the reputation of what Detroit would have today. Nothing good comes out of Detroit. Well, at least cars. Well, no, not just joking about that. Um, but the idea is that if you've been around Detroit, actually it's a really bad reputation of a city. And so that's the, the reputation. And, and we know that Nazareth, there was a, a lot of dark stuff that went on, but there was a group of Bethlehemites that were there, small group of faithful Jews that lived there, and very small. If you wanted to get married in Nazareth, you pretty much had to marry a relative because there wasn't anybody else who was a good part of the faithful Jews. So he's skeptical. But what happens is he says, just come. Just come and see. Just come and spend time with Jesus. And look how it unfolds. Jesus said to Nathanael, coming, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, in that time, when you wanted to get alone with God, what you often did is you went out into nature. And you would get under some shade. Oftentimes, you get under the shade of a tree. And one of the best trees to get under was a fig tree. A fig tree is sort of a shorter tree. Its branches are very broad. Its leaves are thick. It's a good tree to get some shade under. In fact, the rabbis in that day had coined the very phrase, sitting under a fig tree, to mean someone was out going, spending time in prayer and meditating on God's Word. So what happened is Nathaniel had gone out that very morning to spend time in prayer, meditating under, in God's Word under a fig tree, and he thought he was all alone. You know, no one out here knows what I'm talking to God about until all of a sudden he meets Jesus. And Jesus starts talking to him about his quiet time that morning. And uh, Jesus was man enough quickly to prove himself to Nathaniel that he is the Son of God. He is the King of Israel. And Nathaniel goes from a total skeptic to a total believer. Because Jesus is the one who proved himself. All Philip had to do was just introduce him to Jesus. All we have to do is introduce people 
to Jesus. We recommend Jesus. And God takes care of the rest. Well, how does the story of Jesus continue? How does it move forward? If you come in the main doors of the church here, you see our mission statement is passion for God, compassion for our neighbor, and reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. How do we reach Northwest Iowa with the life-changing message of Jesus? And once we reach them with the life-changing message of Jesus, how do we convince them it's true? The answers were right in this text. My mission field is my relational network. We don't reach Northwest Iowa by mass advertising, by billboards, by door knockers, by social media. That may be part of what we do, but we don't reach them that way. The way we reach Northwest Iowa is by you and me recommending Jesus to our friends, who recommend Jesus to their friends, who recommend Jesus to their friends. Folks, when we recommend Jesus, it is much more potent than any kind of advertising campaign out there. And the people we need to recommend Jesus to are the people on your relational network because those are the people that trust you. In particular, your family group. In particular, your neighbors and your, your co-worker group. Your friend group. They'll listen. And they'll start this process, which is the next point. We need to understand the simple process of coming to faith. The process where you recommend Jesus, then people start observing Jesus from a distance, then they want to develop a relationship with Jesus, and then they place their faith in Christ. Now, is there an importance to tools and gospel presentations and all this kind of stuff like evidence that demands a verdict? Is that important? Of course it is. Very important. We don't begin with that. We begin on this high level of recommending. They observe. They develop a relationship with Christ and his people. They come to church and then they place their faith. We recommend that process. Understand that process. It is so much easier to understand. Number three, remember I don't need to convince people about Jesus. I only need to invite them to meet them. Let Jesus prove himself. He's man enough to do it. We just have to introduce people to Jesus and let him spend time in his word. Because the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It will work in people's lives, whether it's coming from my mouth or a teacher's mouth here as the word is preached or whether it's them reading God's word on their own or whether it's in a life group, God's word will work. Now, in a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together where we're going to reflect on God's crazy love for us that he humbled himself, diffused himself permanently with human flesh to die in our place for our sin. So we are saved and we're the most blessed beings in all the created order and we deserve none of it. But as we reflect on God's crazy love for us, what I want you to, re- to think about is, what is crazy that you've done for him? Last week, we looked at befriending those who are far from God. 
Have you done anything crazy and had meals with those who are far from God? Maybe uh, this Easter it's time to begin. Have you done anything crazy and actually like spoke about Jesus and recommended Jesus to those people that are in your friendship network, in your web? Have you taken the risk to do that? As you hold the bread and the cup and you're reflecting upon what Christ has done for you and his crazy love, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to be working in your heart at that time and instructing you and teaching you on who you be, should be sharing him with, who you should be recommending him to, and who you should be eating with as well. I'm going to pray. Dear Jesus, I, I come before you and I, I thank you so much for this simple relational network of recommending you to others and how incredibly potent it is. I ask that you would help us to speak about you, to speak about crosswinds to our friends, to speak about uh, your word and what we've learned in it, to be open. And I pray that you would use that recommendation in people's lives to open up their interest in the gospel. And as we are looking at your communion and reflecting on the greatness and the craziness of the love you have for us, I pray that you would work in our hearts, in our lives, in giving us clear direction on what is crazy that you would have us do for you to bring the gospel forth and to reach Northwest Iowa with the good news of Jesus and to move us out of our comfort zones. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.